This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This week's episode is episode 243, entitled, The Davidic Son of God. We are in this ongoing series in which we are examining the Old Testament messianic passages to see what they have to say about Israel's Messiah, the particular role that is bound up within this anointed figure, and of course, better understanding the Messiah's relationship with the God of Israel. And so this week, we're going to look at arguably the most influential passage from the Old Testament on the New Testament. In fact, I can't even begin to talk about all of the various ways that it's applied in the New Testament because its influence is so massive. And that passage is the Davidic Covenant from 2 Samuel 7. Arguably, 2 Samuel 7 is the most influential passage from the Old Testament onto the New. At least it's in the top three, but certainly it is extremely influential. So here's some questions I would like to explore in this week's episode. First, what is the Davidic Covenant and what are its key components? Second, How did the Davidic Covenant come to unfold regarding its first person of application, namely Solomon, the son of David, and its final climactic application, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ? And finally, in what ways does the New Testament shape its Christological portrayal of Jesus and the followers of Jesus in light of the contents of the Davidic Covenant. Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at God's covenant with David and David's descendants. So this passage is in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16. So it's important to understand who is talking to whom and who is talking about whom in this particular passage. And so, just kind of get this clear in our minds, we have the prophet Nathan, who is speaking to King David, and the prophet Nathan is speaking the words of God. So really, God is speaking through Nathan to David, but they are speaking about David's descendants. So you've got those four persons in mind. God speaking through the prophet Nathan to King David concerning David's sons. Let's start in 2 Samuel 7 verse 12. It says, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. 
when he commits iniquity. I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you, your house, and your kingdom shall endure before me forever, your throne shall be established forever. That's 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16. Such a monumental and powerful passage. So one of the things that we see in this passage is that David eventually is going to die. When your days are complete and when you lie down with your fathers, that indicates that David, when he dies, he's going to sleep with his fathers. He's going to lie down in the grave with his fathers, his ancestors, indicating that those fathers, those ancestors are not somewhere off in heaven. They are somewhere that is associated with the lying down direction. They're in the grave. But after this point, God is going to raise up your descendant after you. And this descendant is going to come forth from David. He's going to be a lineal descendant of David in a very real and legitimate way. And God is going to establish this descendant's kingdom. We learn from verse 13 that this son of David is going to build a house for my name. This house, of course, in the context of 2 Samuel 7, primarily has the meaning of a temple. He's going to build a temple for my name. However, house also has an additional meaning in the context of this covenant, in that house refers to a dynasty, a dynasty of descendants. David's going to have a dynasty of descendants. And so we can see that both of those meanings seem to be implied in this early application of the passage. And God says that he's going to establish the throne of this descendant's kingdom forever. And then in verse 14, we get some very important royal kingly language, particularly in the fact that God says that he will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. And so God is going to be a father to this Davidic king and the king will be a son to God. And this is how the title Son of God came to be applied to the Davidic king. The Davidic king is not the actual lineal Son of God, as if God had a baby and out came the human Israelite king. This is the sense of a title being given to this king in which God functions as the father. And of course, the Israelite king is functioning as the son of God. The other passage that pertains to this is Psalm 2-7, which we'll look at in next week's episode. Now in verse 14, it indicates that God as a father has a responsibility for correcting this Davidic king if he gets out of line. God's going to correct him with the rod of men. However, his loving kindness, his hesed in Hebrew, is not going to depart from this king as he took it away from Saul. And then the promise of the threefold characteristics that are going to last forever are repeated. Your house, your kingdom, and your throne shall be established forever. So there's a lot of interesting things that are said about this particular Davidic king. And the initial person 
to whom this covenant applied was the first descendant of David that became king, which is Solomon. And that's how we see that the passage comes to be understood in its earliest iteration, although it is quite clear that as Solomon had children, and those sons became king, and those sons had children, and those sons became the Davidic king, that the writers of the Old Testament came to understand those kings as continuing in this ongoing house, this ongoing legacy of these descendants of David that came forth from David. They're part of David's family tree. And the fact that they were promised the throne of David, which is the throne of kingship located geographically in Jerusalem, and that promise was made forever. Let's move to our second point today, which is the earliest pre-Christian interpretations of the Davidic covenant. And what we need to do is we need to look into the theology of the chronicler. Chronicler is the person that's in charge of First and Second Chronicles. Now what First and Second Chronicles does, as it is stated, chronicles the history of Israel starting from Genesis and going all the way to the end of Second Kings. And in doing so, the chronicler is able to look at the Davidic covenant and to analyze it from the perspective of the time period from which the chronicler is writing, which is after the Babylonian exile. So the chronicler is well aware that there was a Davidic king that had his rule and reign temporarily suspended because of Nebuchadnezzar coming and removing the kingship and killing the king. And so there's this question as to how is this promise of God establishing the throne of David's descendants forever going to continue to take place? So the chronicler, when he deals with 2 Samuel 7, he has to put an interesting emphasis on it. So in 1 Chronicles, chapter 17, verse 11, we can see how the chronicler is going to read 2 Samuel 7. So this is the Old Testament interpreting earlier Old Testament passages. So 1 Chronicles 17, verse 11 says, When your days are fulfilled, that you must go to be with your fathers, I will set up one of your descendants after you, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build for me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And I will not take my loving kindness away from him, as I took it from him who was before you. That's verse Chronicles 17, 11 through 13. And so what we notice here is that many of the key features remain, namely that David's going to die, he's going to go with his fathers, God is going to set up one of the descendants after David. Clearly, this is going to be of the descendants of David. He will be one of David's sons. The kingdom is going to be established, and the house is going to continue to be built, and the throne is going to be established forever. We have the key wording there of God being the father of this Davidic son and the Davidic son also being the son of God. And then we have the reference that we saw from 2 Samuel 7:14 about the fact that if the Davidic son is getting out of line, that God is going to correct him with the rod of men. That 
passage has been taken away from First Chronicles 17. He doesn't repeat that part from Second Samuel 7 because it's already starting to be viewed that this is not going to refer to a Davidic son that is sinful and disobedient. It's already starting to take upon a messianic reference. They're looking forward to a climactic son of David who's not going to need the correction of God because he's going to be ruling according to the anointing by God's spirit. He's going to be the climactic ruler of Israel as the son of God, the messianic king. And so it already starts to take upon this messianic, let's look towards the final application sort of view as we see it recalled by the chronicler. And towards the end of First Chronicles, we can see that this language is already starting to be used to describe the historical Solomon in First Chronicles 28, verse 5. It says that of all of my sons, for Yahweh has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of Yahweh over Israel. He said to me, your son Solomon is the one who shall build my house and my courts, for I've chosen him to be a son to me, and I will be a father to him. First Chronicles 28, verses 5 through 6. This again is indicating that the descendant of David, who is going to be the king, is going to be called the son of God, not a lineal son of God, but son of God as a title, a title for the Israelite king. So it's very important that when the New Testament calls Jesus the Son of God, if it's in reference to his role as the king, as the anointed one, as the ruler, then Son of God functions as a title, a title for the Israelite king and the recipient of the Davidic covenant. Of course, Jesus is also the Son of God in the sense that God is literally his father, so it bears both of those meanings in regard to Jesus. But we do have to remember that the Son of God was originally a title for the Davidic king based out of the Davidic covenant. Let's move to our third and final point, the first century Christian readings of the Davidic covenant. And here I could have listed a hundred verses. There's no way that I can go through all of those in a single podcast episode. So I thought I would just get a sampling of some of the ways that I thought were the most influential impacts of the Davidic covenant onto New Testament theology, particularly in its depiction of the portrayal of Jesus and his Christological understanding. But as we're going to see, it's not limited to Jesus. So Matthew, of course, begins his gospel by saying, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. You cannot get farther than the very first verse of the New Testament without understanding that its key character, Jesus Christ, is the descendant of David and thereby he is the recipient, the final climactic recipient of all of the promises of the Davidic covenant. Now, as Matthew continues to unfold, we can see that 
the Jewish people began to regard Jesus as the son of David. And so when Jesus is triumphantly entering into Jerusalem, we can see a passage like this take place. Matthew 21, verse 9, where the crowds were going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Matthew 21, verse 9. Now, Hosanna is just a Hebrew phrase, which means to save us now, deliver us now. It's not a title. It's not some sort of designation for a person. It's a call for freedom and deliverance. Save us now to the son of David. That's what they think Jesus is. And then they announce that as the son of David, Jesus is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He's not identified as the Lord Yahweh. He comes in the name of the Lord. He bears the authority and the authorization of Yahweh. So it's clear that the Messianic king that is coming into Jerusalem in order to rule and reign is regarded as the son of David. And that is, of course, what Matthew wants you to think about Jesus. And that's what the crowds think about Jesus. Now, Paul begins the letter to the Romans with a statement about Jesus being the son of David with all the theology built in from the Davidic covenant. And this, of course, is important because Paul wants to portray Jesus to the Romans as the legitimate ruler and king, since Rome, of course, would be filled with people in their churches that were attempted to give honor and praise to a different ruler namely to Caesar, and at the time of the writing of Romans, that Caesar was Caesar Nero. So the opening of Romans sounds like this. Romans 1.1 Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who is declared to be son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's Romans 1, verses 1 through 4. So, Jesus is not just Jesus by himself. Paul is a bondservant of Christ Jesus. The emphasis there is on Christ. King Jesus is his designation there. And, of course, Paul is set apart for the gospel of God, which he, God, promised beforehand concerning his son. Whose son? God's son, the son of God. Remember, that's the title for the Messianic king stemming from the Davidic covenant. And what we see is that his son is born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh. So he's the son of God, and he's the son of David from birth. And that's exactly what we get from 2 Samuel 7. We can see that David's son is going to be called the Son of God. Both of these terms come together, and they're meant to be references to the Davidic covenant. And of course, Jesus in verse 4 is the Son of God with power from the resurrection of the dead. There's a powerful iteration because of the exaltation of Jesus after his resurrection. Thereby, he's son of God with power at that particular point. And, of course, 
is Jesus Christ our Lord. He is our Lord because no longer is Caesar our Lord. So Paul begins the book of Romans by highlighting Jesus as the climactic recipient of the Davidic covenant. Now Paul also has a way of understanding that the believers who are in Christ, that is those believers who are within the sphere of Christ's redemptive influence, think of in Christ as this circle and people who are in Christ are those who share in the benefits of the redemptive benefits of Jesus. Those people also seem to receive some of the benefits of the Davidic covenant. Look at this interesting passage. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says in verse 14, Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever. And the passage goes on, and Paul says, Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. That's Second Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. And at the end, we can see there that that particular promise of God being a father to the king and the king being a son to God has now been expanded to refer to sons and daughters of those who are in Christ. Those who belong to Christ. They don't belong to Belial. Those who are believers. They're not unbelievers. Those who are described with righteousness, not with lawlessness. And so 2 Samuel 7 Verse 14, which clearly refers to the Messiah, to the anointed king, also has an expanded reference in regard to the people of the Messiah. So Paul is able to understand the Davidic covenant and its implications in a wider scope than just narrowly focusing on the final recipient, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. Paul is able to make this comment in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 while also making the comment in Romans chapter 1. It's a very interesting point. Moving along, two more passages. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5, we have the connection of the sonship of the Davidic king from the Davidic covenant and the title of Son of God being connected to Psalm 2.7. So in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5, the author says, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, and again I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. It's Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5. And so the author is making the point that, look, to which of the angels, namely none of them, has God ever said, and then he quotes two passages. He quotes Psalm 2-7, You are my son, today I have become your father. And then he also quotes 2 Samuel 7, verse 14. I will be a father to him, he shall be a son to me. The two passages from the Hebrew Bible, the two primary passages, there are a few more, but the two most influential passages indicating that the 
Jewish Messiah is going to be the Son of God, and he's going to bear the title Son of God. That is Psalm 2.7 and 2 Samuel 7 verse 14. And of course, the author of Hebrews is quite clear that the recipient of these is not an angel. So Jewish Messiah is not an angel who became man. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus, of course, admits that he is a descendant of David, indicating he is the recipient and the rightful bearer of all the promises of the Davidic covenant. In Revelation 22.16, Jesus himself says in the first person, I am the shoot and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Revelation 22.16. So he is the shoot, which is the offshoot branch of David's family tree, indicating that he is a lineal descendant of David. He is a human being because David was a human being and all of David's descendants were human beings. And of course, he is the seed of David, the descendant of David, and thereby he is the rightful recipient of the promises of the Davidic covenant, which is the house, the throne, the dynasty, the kingdom, and of course the chair geographically located in Jerusalem that is to be promised to Jesus forever, and the final consummation and fulfillment of all those Davidic promises will occur when Jesus returns to rule and reign in God's kingdom here upon the earth. So there you have it. That is the messianic promise from 2 Samuel 7, and at least some of the ways that it influences the New Testament authors. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Join us next week as we begin to look at the messianic promises within the Psalms. And boy, oh boy, there are a lot of them. We'll begin by looking at Psalm number 2. Psalm 2 and the ways that it describes God's anointed king and the influence of Psalm 2 upon the New Testament authors. Please look forward to our next episode. Now, if you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the sound truths of the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You can support us for absolutely free by subscribing on YouTube or iTunes, by giving us an honest review on iTunes, and by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. If you'd like to donate to the podcast to help keep it on the air, you can check out the episode description for a link to PayPal. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, please take care.